Okay, so what this, what we're going to talk about right now is the difference between your limbic brain and your frontal lobe of your brain. Two totally different parts. In the Bible, it talks about us being double-minded and that when we're double-minded, we're unstable in all of our ways and we don't get what we pray for. It doesn't come to pass. It's, the Bible says you actually ask amiss. So in other words, you'd been better off just being silent. So how is it that a person can be double-minded? Back in the day, I thought that double-minded just meant like, you know, crazy people. People who couldn't get their act together. People who said one thing and did another. And they were, you know, typical liars. And that they were obvious who the double-minded was. But now that I understand science and the difference between the limbic brain and the subconscious brain, I don't think that way anymore. And the reason is because the science behind it actually tells me what a double mind is. And now I understand scientifically and quantum physically how I can believe something in two different parts of my brain and they oppose each other. So let me give you an example. Let's just pretend that I was abandoned. I wasn't, but let's pretend that I was. Let's pretend I was abandoned by my dad. And in being abandoned by my dad, I grew up as a child believing that maybe it's my fault, or if I was lovable, or if something wasn't wrong with me, or maybe if I was, uh, maybe if I was prettier, or smarter, or, or a good little girl, then my daddy wouldn't have left me. So the child, the human nature, is always going to judge itself by good and evil. And the reason we do that is because we have the seed of Adam and Eve. Now, Adam and Eve ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And when Eve ate from the tree, she saw good. And when Adam ate from the tree, they both saw they were naked. So why is it that Eve saw only good until Adam ate? And then after Adam ate, they both saw they were naked. Well, that's because they were already one when God created them. God created Adam and Eve, male and female, in his own likeness and image. So when God said it wasn't good that man should be alone, it actually was saying, it's, um, in the Hebrew, when you break it all down, it says, it wasn't God's most beautiful best that one be held fenced in the city. Now that sounds totally different, doesn't it? Because that now makes you understand that Eve was fenced inside these borders of the human body called a city. And so now, it's like, wait a minute. God never intended for them to be remain as one. It's not like God like said, oh, now that we've created him and her, and she's locked up in the city, let's, let's change our mind and take her out. No, God created them one because they're, they're already one, as God is one, three in one. God is male, female, and child, Father, Holy Spirit, and Son. So when he created Adam, or when they created Adam, it says, let us make man in our image. And so when, when God created Adam, they, they already in their fullness was male, female, and the potential of a child. But it wasn't God's most beautiful best that she remain inside the city. So as he brought her out, it literally means he brought her in front of himself so that he could see the fullness of himself, so that he could manifest fully as God. So what does that mean? Produce a child. 
and multiply because he couldn't have manifested fully as a father and she couldn't have manifested fully as a mother unless Eve be taken out of Adam so that they could copulate in the physical. So we are born with that nature, the fullness of the Godhead in us in that we are inside, outside, and, and all things are possible. So the inside represents female, the outside represents male, and the two together, when the fullness of us come together, all things are possible. I'm going to explain, because I know it's like a little bit aloof what I'm talking about, but that's okay. Just stay with me. We'll, we'll get there. So when Adam and Eve were taken up out of each other, when she was taken out of him, and they ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, that, the reason Eve only saw good is because she's a receiver or a negatively charged ion, if you will. Because that's what an atom is. An A-T-O-M is a negative, a positive, and a neutral. And they're made, everything's made in that image. Every single thing is made positive, negative, neutral. Even at the subatomic level. Even at quantum physics level. So as she eats, she sees good. He eats, they see they're naked. Well, naked means negative or absent. See, absent or minus, right? So they then they saw both positive and negative, good and evil. And then when they had children, Cain and Abel, we and all the children of Adam and Eve now see life through positive and negative. And so when we grow up and we have and we've been abandoned or whatever, we're going to look for the good and the evil. And Eve said this when she ate. She said, if I knew good and I understood evil, if I had the knowledge of those, then I would be like God. And basically the implication is, and then he would accept me. Well, the truth is she was already like God. She was already accepted. She was just a child. She was just immature and didn't know. So was she a fully grown human being or was she a little bitty girl? I don't know. But I know that her spiritual being, her composition, her <clears throat> age, if you will, of being created, she hadn't learned anything yet. She, had, she was brand new. So that's why she didn't understand that she was already like God. She didn't have all understanding. And all of understanding really does come from the seven spirits of God. Spirit of knowledge, spirit of wisdom, spirit of understanding, spirit of truth, and all that. And there's seven spirits of God. So over time, we as human beings have been developing and we've been waking up. So as a child, if, I, if, I, if I'm abandoned, but let's just say by my father or my mother, I'm given up for adoption, my nature is going to judge good from evil. And it's going to say, if I would have been good and not been bad, then I would be loved. See, it's the same exact thing that Eve and Adam were struggling with in the garden when they ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So even if you have perfect parents, that don't leave you, that don't forsake you, you're going to go through that same process. How do I know that? Because Adam and Eve had perfect parents, and they went through it. So now we don't have an excuse. We have no one to blame. We can't blame mom. can't blame dad. Now, we can blame our nature, but then we're still stuck if we're in blame because that makes us a victim. So what is the, what is the healthy way to look at this? To see my nature as it is and understand it through the spirit of understanding, through revelatory information from the Word of God 
by the power of the Holy Spirit as God gives us understanding. Because understanding doesn't come from man. My understanding is always going to look for right and wrong, good and evil, good and bad. That's what I do. That's my nature. And since I'm aware of my nature, I've learned to not trust in my own understanding because it don't work. My understanding is going to be in my frontal lobe, which is where my reasoning and my intellect, my opinions, and my perception are. And that is what gets me in trouble because that's where my knowledge of good and evil is. It actually looks at my yesterdays or my past experiences and it tries to determine how to live the future rather than living what Christ lived. Christ lived like this. I don't say it unless I hear the Father say it. I don't do it unless I see the Father do it. Now, he don't say, hey, look, let's learn from my past experiences so we know what to do for tomorrow. He said, take no thought for tomorrow. He said, don't lean unto your own understanding, but trust me with all your heart, and I'll direct your path. So see, this is a whole new way of thinking. So how is it, again, that we can be double-minded? Because I live out of my frontal lobe consciously, I don't understand without science to back it up that my subconscious is actually where all of my actions come from. They don't come from my choices. We've been taught, oh, just choose to do good. Really? If that worked, how come we are still where we are? Because everyone knows to choose to do good and not do evil, but how many of us actually do that? As a matter of fact, the Bible says that when you put a law on something, you actually give power to sin. So the more law you have or the more you say, don't do this, the more you're going to do it. I'll give you an example. I've um, always had high cholesterol. Now, my good cholesterol is high and my bad cholesterol is high. But my ratio is very, very good. When I was 19, I was told, you have high cholesterol, you need to go on a diet. Well... When I got married and I was 19, I weighed 116 pounds. I'm almost 5'7". Going on a diet would not be a wise thing for me to do. Like, turn sideways, where did she go? Right? So, I was one of the things I was told that I couldn't eat, <clears throat> first of all, I didn't even go on a diet. I was like, no way, I'll just die blowing away. So, when I was maybe 30 years old, somewhere in that ballpark, um, I was told again that I need to go on a diet because I had high cholesterol. So I took the diet paper home from my doctor and the first thing it said I couldn't eat was peanut butter. Now, I hadn't actually ate peanut butter in probably three or four years. I didn't even have peanut butter in my house. I went to the store. I purchased peanut butter. I took a tablespoon of peanut butter out and I ate the whole tablespoon of, butter, of peanut butter and I was like, why am I doing this? And then I was like, what is wrong with me? I, I haven't hungered for peanut butter. Didn't even think about it. But the minute you tell me I can't have peanut butter, I go buy a jar of peanut butter and a tablespoon of it? Like, that made no sense. So I tore the diet page up and threw it in the trash. And I said, God, what is this? And that's how he revealed to me that when you put a law on anything, you actually empower sin to overtake you. So that freaked me out. I thought, well, gosh, if... If this is what that's like, what is it like for the people who've been on a diet their whole life? Because it's got to be. It, it took me like two and a half weeks to get the desire for peanut butter out of my head. Because that one law, you can't eat peanut butter, had overtaken me. So I, I trashed. I said, I will never do that. So then I started studying my cholesterol and found out that I actually didn't have bad cholesterol. 
I had a whole lot of good. And I had so much good cholesterol. By the way, your brain is mostly fat and needs cholesterol. But I had so much good cholesterol that even though my bad cholesterol was high, my ratios were perfect and I wasn't even at risk for heart disease. But yet the doctor had told me because only one factor was looked at. So, all that to say, if I'm living out of my front of my brain where it says do this and don't do that, go here, don't go there, I actually am, am I'm almost guaranteeing myself that I'm going to go do those things. So, choice is not free when you put a law on it. Let me just put it to you that way. And the word choice in scripture doesn't mean choose the way we look at it in English language. It actually means desire. So the word is really telling you in the Old Testament and in the New, desire life, just hunger for it and thirst and I'll fill it because you can't. So that's the frontal lobe. That's how it works. It doesn't work very well. It actually will get you in a lot of trouble. So where do all the issues of life come from if they're not coming from the frontal lobe? The Bible says all of the issues of life flow from the heart. Well, the limbic brain, which is what we're going to be working in today, is directly connected to the heart. It is a part of it. It's not, even though they're not in the same spot in your body, they don't work without each other. The hypothalamus causes, talks to the body and tells the body to release these three little chemicals. They come together, together in the heart, and these three chemicals, when they come together, they actually make a spark. And when they make that spark, the heart beats. So the heart couldn't beat without the hypothalamus telling it to do what it does. So it's directly connected or it couldn't even beat. So that's how intertwined the subconscious is with the heart. Now let's look at that part of the brain a little bit closer. That part of the brain is called the diencephalon. It's the amygdala, the thalamus, the hypothalamus, the pituitary, and the pineal gland. And it may have some other stuff in it, but that's what I'm aware of. And the way that this part of the brain works is any time you experience something emotionally, it secretes chemicals and frequency into the bloodstream and every single cell in your body is engaged in that information. Every single cell. That's why if you almost get in a car wreck and you get emotional about it, that your hands sweat, your body shakes, and your entire body knows it was, you know, in a bad situation, almost gotten right. Your whole body is affected by it. But if I tell you two plus two is four, your whole body don't sweat and get engaged. So that's the difference between frontal lobe and the diencephalon, the amygdala part, is because the amygdala part of the brain, the thalamus and hypothalamus part of the brain, all of that is, it is actually formed and works through emotion. It's also the part of the brain that handles your endocrinology, which means your thyroid, your thymus, your spleen, your pancreas, and all of your hormones and all of the chemicals that are releasing your brain, like serotonin, melatonin, dopamine, opiates. Any time you have any emotion, you feel accepted or rejected, you feel um, alone or apart, you feel um, stress or you feel at peace. All of that is going on in that part of the brain. So whether we realize it or not, according to scripture and according to science, 
everything we do flows out of the issues of the heart, which is the diencephalon, which is the limbic brain. So, if somebody tells me after I've been abandoned, I've, I'm now adopted or whatever, if somebody says, yeah, but God loves you, and they begin to tell me of the love of God, or maybe that my mom loved me and the reason she gave me it for adoption is maybe she was too poor to raise me or too young or whatever the situation. I can rationalize that all I want to in my frontal lobe. But guess what my hypothalamus and my, I mean my amygdala is going to believe? It's going to still believe I wasn't loved. Why? Because it still has the chemicals in the protein in my brain where my memories are that you feel alone. We feel abandoned. We feel not loved. We feel rejection. So that, that, that is actually a chain link protein in the brain that it will forever be there. The good news is that part of the brain can actually be changed by the washing of the water of the word. So what does that mean? Well, it doesn't mean memory. It doesn't mean even that you believe the word of God with all your heart, meaning like, I believe two plus two is four with every bit of me, right? But it's not emotionally engaged. And I can read the word of God and believe it 100%, just like I believe two plus two is four. But if I don't feel it in my entire body, through my amygdala, through the hypothalamus releasing the chemicals and the frequency, through the creation of a chain link protein that is now forever embedded in that part of my brain, I'm double-minded because I believe in my frontal lobe God loves me, but I believe in my amygdala that I'm not really loved unless I'm good or unless I do something to get love because the evidence that supports that is I was given away. So that's what we have to make come together and believe the same exact thing. So how do we do that? The way that we do that is we can go into any memory. If you don't have a memory, we can actually create a parable or a story. And that will produce um, effects in the hypothalamus, which will release a perfect set of chemicals into your bloodstream that will actually go and communicate at the cellular level with every single cell in your body. So that is the beauty of it, is people go, well, what do I have to do? Answer is nothing. God will set you free. Truth will do for you what you cannot do for yourself. Truth does not need any help whatsoever. It's not truth plus something that sets you free. It is truth that sets you free. Free from what? Captivity. What kind of captivity? The lie that says the same thing that Adam and Eve believed, that you're not loved or you're not like God unless you know good from evil. And so that lie is now changed. So let's talk about the chain link protein a little bit. In your amygdala where the memories are, it's almost like taking down a book off of a bookshelf and opening it up. It's really a chain link protein. It's a, like, like a little fatty protein thing in there and it's called a chain. Well, if you have chains on your feet or on your ankle, uh, on your wrist, we would call that a prisoner, that you would be held captive. So that's how that belief is. That belief holds you captive and you, it, it is captivity and it's holding on to you through whatever lies you've believed. So when we open that book, all of the facts are in that protein. All the memories of the facts of 
I was born here, this is what my mom told me, or this is what my grandmother said, or this is what my stepmom said, or my adopted mom, or my uncle, or my, whatever. All the facts of your life are in that memory, whatever you've either been told and experienced. But the, there's another page. There is like a blank slate waiting for the rest of the story. And we can go fill that in. So let's imagine that that chain link protein with all of your facts and all of your all of your feelings of being rejected or abandoned is let's pretend that that is coffee water it's bitter and maybe it's got a little jello in it so that it could gelatize if you will if that's a word it would gel and it would form this little chain link but if you was to eat it it would only taste like bitter coffee water so when we take this amygdala memory down and it's made out of this bitter coffee water we want to transform it into a mocha latte so that it tastes good. Because if I try to tell your brain that these facts are not true, it won't receive it. It, it already has the memory there. It will not believe that that didn't happen. And you can't persuade that chain link protein that it's loved. You can't just talk to it to make it feel loved. But if you could show through your imagination and your mind's eye yourself that God never left you God never forsook you and that what God's love is like is nothing like what human love is and you could see and feel the love of Jesus the love of the Father the love of the Holy Spirit in your mind in your heart where your amygdala is and your thalamus and hypothalamus are if you could see that that truth would transform that bitter water protein into the mocha latte it's like adding cream and sugar and chocolate to your coffee. Now, once you do that, you can't unmoke a latte yet. It, it stays like that for forever. So that's what we're going to be doing. We're going to pray and ask God to show us any memories that you have that would make you feel unloved, rejected, abandoned, um, just separated from society or your family or yourself or from God. And when God shows us whatever that is, we'll go into that memory. Once we go into the memory, what my job is, is to help you feel safe enough to feel the feelings that you've been running from. Because the feelings that we run from are all those yucky things. Well, we need those in your bloodstream. If they don't get in your bloodstream, the chain link protein won't light up and that chain link protein will stay bitter, bitter coffee water. So we need that chemical ligands, all of them, to be flooding your bloodstream as your hypothalamus pumps as it's living that memory or multiple memories or whatever. When that happens, I'm going to be saying, Father, what do I say? And then, Father, show me what you want me to, what picture you want me to paint. Because to anoint means to paint a picture. It means to thrust through. It means to pierce, it means to prick, it means to rub, smear, massage, and therapy. So that's what I'm doing, is I'm anointing you. So it's not going to feel good. It is going to pierce your heart. It is going to feel like you're having a, a sword thrust through your side. It's going to feel like you're, you're stuck and can't get up, because that's what pierced God's hands and feet was nails. It pierced him, and then the thorns pricked his brow. So the feelings and the thoughts are not going to be comfortable. But that's what we need to change that in your brain. 
Now, once that gets in your bloodstream and I begin to paint the picture, what picture? Whatever picture God gives me. The Bible says that if you sin in your heart, you've already done it. Well, guess what? If you love in your heart, you've already done it. So if it's, if it's true for sin, how much more is it true for love and acceptance? So that's what we're going to do. We're going to do it in your heart. And your heart is part of that limbic part of the brain. So when that happens, all of a sudden, your hypothalamus will secrete opiates and it'll have a balance of serotonin and your brain will actually get euphoric because it will feel the love that it's been longing to feel and the acceptance all this time. You may even get flooded with gratitude. Now, love and gratitude are the two most powerful things I've ever witnessed in my life. Personally, and that's when I see the most... Um, Signs and wonders happen. Jesus had compassion on them and healed them. Well, compassion is a form of love. And so as that goes into your bloodstream, I wouldn't be surprised if you have any illnesses or, or muscle aches or joint problems or bones out of place in your spine or, or anything. I wouldn't be surprised if you get healed. A lot of people do. Deaf ears have been opened. Tumors have disappeared. Bones heal. Hips heal. Um backs that have been out of alignment for years that people can't hardly walk, they heal, legs heal, ankles heal, toes, elbows, shoulders, I mean, you name it, we've seen it. Um, so that's really what we're doing, is we're going into the limbic brain, call the diencephalon part, if you listen to, even to that word, diencephalon, alone, diencephalon, and what did they do? They, Adam and Eve, when they ate from that tree of knowledge of good and evil, the Bible says they died. Right, and so they were. They went to themselves alone, rather than communing with God, which was available to them. And you and I do the same thing. When we stay in our frontal lobe, we're actually communing as one or all by ourselves, and we don't really get into the heart where the kingdom of God is, which is what God said for us to seek. So basically, all I need from you is your emotions, and when that time comes, just let them flow. And so one of the questions that people ask, they say, well, what if I don't have a memory? Then what? That's okay. I asked God the same thing. I had a man who didn't have any memory before age 12. And I was like, oh my goodness, I don't think I can help this guy. What do I do? And the Lord said, make up a story. And I said, in my mind, lie? And the Lord said, no, tell a parable. I told parables all the time. And I said, well, where am I going to get a parable from? He's like, I will give you one. I'm like, oh, okay. So when I have people that don't have any memory, I wait till I get a parable. And I'll just start telling that story. Once there was a man, blah, 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 blah. And I'll tell that person, I want you to imagine that you are in this story. And then I'll create whatever the Lord gives me. And that works too. So I don't have any excuses for whether someone has a memory or does not have a memory. And so let's end it with this. The Bible says to sin is to miss the mark. Well, if you look up that word sin in the Bible, it means to miss the mark. It also means to miss the calculation, the flag, the sign, the wonder, the monument, and the miracle. Well, the word monument means memories. So when a memory comes to us and we miss it, we don't go in that memory. We don't feel the feelings. We don't let God rewire our brain. We're actually missing the mark. 
a lot of people call those things triggers. Oh, I have these triggers. I need to get rid of my triggers. No, you don't. You need to utilize the trigger, pull the trigger, and let it blow your mind so your mind won't work like it used to. We need to go back into that memory and see that God never left us, God never forsook us, and then that trigger becomes a trigger that will remind you how loved you are, not a trigger that reminds you how alone you are because you actually totally transform what's believed in that amygdala part of your brain, which is where your emotional memories are. So that's what we're going to be doing. All right, you guys, follow me on podcast. Like, share, and comment. Keep us at the top of the list.